Good Thursday afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for January 13th. I'm Kyle Callums. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today on our show, again this year, some of the best young musicians from across the region will create an all-star ensemble. The idea was to give these students an opportunity to go beyond what they can get in high school. The sixth edition of the Jazz All-Stars is assembling soon. We'll learn more in our second half hour. In about 10 minutes, the beauty of the deep Ozarks is on display year-round in Newton County, and more people are seeking land there. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Prolick will tell us more just ahead. The number of new cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas is at another single-day high. The Arkansas Department of Health diagnosed 10,974 cases in the last 24 hours, and active cases grew by almost 6,400 yesterday. There are now 71,000 active cases in the state. The ADH also reports 14 additional deaths from COVID-19 and the net gain of 37 virus patients in Arkansas hospitals. Washington County had just more than 1,000 new cases. Benton County reported 701. There are 121 COVID-19 patients in Northwest Arkansas hospitals, an increase of one patient since yesterday. The Northwest Arkansas Council says just more than 53% of the eligible population in Benton County is fully immunized. It's about 54.5% in Washington County. Several area schools have shifted to virtual classes as the week moves closer to the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Yesterday, Fayetteville schools announced they would use today and Friday as virtual days. Those days will be considered Alternative Method Instruction, or AMI days. In-person classes scheduled to resume on Tuesday, the day after the holiday. Prairie Grove schools also moving to virtual instruction for the rest of the week. Greenland and Siloam Springs schools also shifted. Arkansas U.S. Senator John Bozeman is criticizing any call to end the Senate filibuster. The Republican senator delivered an address on the Senate floor and wrote an op-ed piece in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette defending the filibuster. He says the elimination would result in a scorched earth where consensus is harder to achieve and shifting majorities could implement drastic policy changes. Even President Biden, who enjoyed a long career in the Senate and exercised his right to stop or hamper legislation and nominees he had concerns with, has decided his decades-long embrace of the filibuster is no match for the loudest voices in his party demanding to discard it. The justifications all point in one direction, keeping power. Today, the Biden administration and the Senate Democrats believe a supposed threat to our democracy requires abandoning the minority party's ability to pump the brakes. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden called on the Senate to change filibuster rules to help ensure passage of new voting rights protection. Senator John Bozeman is seeking another term in the Senate in the 2022 election. A resident of Adair County, Oklahoma, is the new Cherokee Nation Chief of Staff. Corey Bunch has been named to the position by Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin, Jr., Bunch has two degrees from Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. The Arkansas Razorback men's basketball team no longer winless in SEC play. Last night, Arkansas dismantled Missouri 87-43 in Bud Walton Arena to improve to 1-3 in conference. The Razorbacks traveled to Baton Rouge Saturday afternoon for a game with number 12 LSU. Increasing cloudiness tonight with lows in the mid-30s across the region. Cloudy tomorrow, highs from 55 to 58, and maybe, maybe snow this weekend. There is a 70% chance of precipitation Saturday for the region, with the official National Weather Service saying snow likely in northwest Arkansas and eastern Oklahoma Saturday and snow likely possibly mixed with rain for the Arkansas River Valley on Saturday.
This is Ozarks at Large. Yesterday, we saw the first distribution of free at-home COVID-19 tests courtesy of the Arkansas Department of Health. Places like the Rogers Fire Station and the Fayetteville Public Library, among others across our region, held a first-come, first-served distribution. Dr. Jennifer Dillahay of the Arkansas Department of Health notes this is not ideal for people who cannot get away from work in the mornings to wait in line for these tests, but the ADH are not the only ones who will be providing tests for Arkansans. There are numerous efforts to bring tests into the state, so we're trying to coordinate all of that together to make testing available. We need to make sure that people who cannot come and get those tests timely, still have access to testing at home testing. And that's important. Dr. Dillahay says that the current positivity rate in the state is 30.5%. They need to be able to take care of all of the COVID cases who will be admitted with this huge spike. But they also need to take care of everyone else that needs to be in the hospital that doesn't have COVID-19. And we know that Our hospitals had challenges before the Omicron variant began to spread. Many of their staff were burned out and having to step away from work. And now we have many staff who are also ill with COVID-19. They've been doing a really good job, but everyone else in Arkansas needs to do their part too to decrease the spread of COVID-19 and take the stress out of our hospital systems. The Omicron variant has been less severe than previous versions, but with a record high level of cases reported in the last 24 hours, Dr. Dillahay says she's concerned about the hospitals across Arkansas. Which is very high, and that indicates that we are still having ongoing surge When it's that high, we know that more testing is needed in order to capture the tests around the state. And of course, these are just the tests that are reported to Arkansas Department of Health. It's not the tests that people are doing at home and not reported. So it's really just the tip of the iceberg. Yesterday, we heard that the Oklahoma State Department of Health has no system in place for people who test positive at home to report their status. That's not the case in Arkansas. If you want to voluntarily report your positive case you can call this toll-free number, 800-803-7847. We'll repeat that number at the end of today's Ozarks at Large. Newton County, a historically sparsely populated region deep in the Ozark Mountains, is experiencing a real estate rush. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich traveled to Newton County to discover why. The Little Buffalo River flows through the town of Jasper this bright winter morning. The capital city of Newton County is typically packed with summer tourists who come to float, hike, camp on the river and breakfast here at the historic Ozark Cafe. You know, we are 100 years old and it's been around for a, a long, long, long time. Cafe manager James Turner relocated here several years ago from Texas. It's amazing to live here in Arkansas. Waitress Jacqueline Herring also moved here five years ago for the same reason, but now she's worried. Honestly, a lot of the locals kind of getting pushed out because, you know, everybody's coming from the big cities and getting all the land. Rain Davidson, principal broker for Arkansas Diamond Realty, confirms that land sales are really brisk. 
right after COVID let up, you saw it just skyrocket. It's like the demand went crazy. And as far as property uh, values go, I've seen it increase at least 35% minimum to goodness sakes, I'd say 75% property values increase, sometimes 100% increase. Davidson says her clients are moving to Newton County for a specific reason. You know, I've seen um, a great influx from Texas, Louisiana, California, Florida. That's the predominant states, but then they also come from Missouri, Kansas, you know, Oklahoma. It seems like the predominant thing is everybody's wanting to take um, the opportunity right now to just get into an area that's remote, Um, maybe that feeling of seclusion and privacy seems like they want to get out of the cities. We see a lot of people that are selling out of the cities and just getting to the country. Davidson says the region has a low crime rate. Another major draw among new migrants are retirees, couples purchasing second homes, or like Kai and Lisa Douay, seeking new Highland primary residences. They're from Louisiana. He works in the Gulf Coast oil industry. She works as an events planner and supports charitable causes. They both love to hike and explore natural places, which drew them to the Ozarks. And we came looking for a spot for a vacation home. So we came here to look for that and ended up falling absolutely in love with a 44-acre homestead. Close to the Buffalo River, this is the couple's second dream home. Hurricane Laura hit us in Louisiana in our new house that we had just built. Um, We had a tree through our roof. Um, We had over 100 trees down on our property. Um, We had 32 days of no electricity and no water. So, yes, I went through that. And three weeks after Laura Delta hit. That was October 2020. And then this year. My husband's mom passed away um, in August, and so we were there for COVID. She passed away from COVID. We were there for her passing and her funeral, and we were hit by um, Ida. So 100 and some odd miles an hour winds again, no electricity for a month. I mean, it was like a horrible nightmare. Ida struck late August 2021. That's when the Dues pulled up stakes to relocate to the Ozarks Plateau as climate refugees. They are among an array of migrants who've come through here for centuries, first prehistoric people followed by Osage and Cherokee, who dwelled here, later forced out by Anglo settlers, declaring Newton County in 1842. We met with native Don Simpkins at the Newton County Library, where he researches local history. Uh, Irish, English, Scotch, some of the land that they came from was similar to the land they had found. Uh, So they were accustomed to working this type of land. Anglo settlers cultivated corn, rye, wheat, oats, potatoes, cotton, and tobacco in the county's rich riparian fields. They milled old-growth timber and mined limestone, zinc, lead, and saltpeter out of the craggy mountainsides. You had to be self-sufficient. There was not disposable anything. Those that had large farms that got out and and worked, their, their huge gardens, they usually had a lot of kids. The region to this day remains predominantly white. 
Simpkins says generations of families remain in Newton County, surviving a brutal civil war and later the Great Depression. After the declaration of the Buffalo National River in 1972, tourists began to flock to the region along with a new migrant group, back to the landers. What was called the tree huggers. They were moving in. They had their own little community communities. They didn't like the idea of people logging the, the forest. And just in my opinion, when people move into the area, they should assimilate themselves to that culture. But that was not the case with the people that were moving in. Come on. Original Newton County back to the lander, Bill Lord feeds sweet red apples to his horses this cold afternoon. He owns three acres in Parthenon, a small farming community five miles southwest of Jasper, with his wife, Linda Bryant. Both are retired and count seven grandchildren. So uh, we're living a, an idyllic sort of life. Lord left northern Louisiana in the 1970s for Newton County to build a wilderness homestead, raise kids, a garden, and livestock. It took quite a bit of money to get the tools, to get the house, to get the farm, to get the things the way you wanted it. You know, kind of what we all sort of say is there's a lot of people that came here. Very few of us stayed. To survive, Lord worked various trades, later hiring on as a regional solid waste and recycling administrator and teaching at the local community college. Taking a seat inside near the fireplace, Lord says he paid $100 an acre for his land when he first arrived. Newton County's rough train has always been relatively dirt cheap, data show. But that's changed, he says. The difference is between the, the people moving in now is the amount of money that they have. And I don't get a sense that they respect the land and the forest. I mean, you drive through the forest now and drive down the roads and you see these huge patches of clear cuts that have been going on. And sometimes they harvest the timber. Sometimes they just have dozers, doze it up and burn it. You know, and it just it's uh, uh, there's not a respect for the land that the back to landers brought with them. It was inherent. While families like the Dues from Louisiana are rebuilding new lives here, a growing number of property transactions appear to be mercenary. Donnie Davis, Newton County clerk, deals with court criminal probate elections and land records. Well, it's one of the greatest places I think they are on, on earth. We can live our own lives and everyone pretty well tries to help each other. You know, when we, you know, if someone's in need or has a sickness or a burning house burned or something, is people are real good at that. But this county native says he's witnessing a surge in land transactions. Outlanders purchasing a property here. As I've seen properties sell for more money than I've ever seen in my life. You know, I'm seeing million dollar deals go through Newton County. And uh, people are buying property and I've seen small tracts of property selling for ridiculous prices, you know, compared to what it once was. Davis says county and municipal services are ill-equipped to meet the changes. Like law enforcement, the more people you have here, the more law enforcement you're going to have to look at. In your, uh, your trash, and your solid waste, you're going to have to have more of that. Then you're back to your county judge. is like the county roads and all. It's going to be more maintenance on that. Limited liability corporations are also snapping up land in Newton County to develop or flip for resale, a trend occurring across the rural Ozarks. 
The 2020 census conducted during the pandemic doesn't yet reflect these changes, but it does show that over the past decade, both Newton County, population 7,700, and Jasper, population 547, were losing people. Jasper School Superintendent Kendra Brazel in an email wrote that despite the huge increase in property sales and because much of it is now vacation rental real estate, the school district hasn't experienced any growth. We went to City Hall to meet with Jasper Mayor Jan Larson, who welcomes all newcomers. Many of them have visited and they want to move back. That's, that's what I probably hear most. Larson is a fourth-generation native. Her ancestors settled in Boxley Valley and Parthenon. In 2020, Larson, with assistance from the Northwest Arkansas Economic Development District and resident volunteers, prepared a strategic community land use plan for Jasper, aiming to build more affordable housing in the city. City Council also recently enacted an ordinance to strictly regulate residential and commercial zoning. We're working really hard, and, and I know I say this a lot, but to preserve what we call the essence of Jasper, we know tourists are coming. We know people are moving in. So our goal is to keep that and manage the, the changes that are coming so it benefits all of us. Newton County, however, has no comprehensive land use plan for now. Larson says she is hearing about more county land being sold and broken into saleable lots. I, it is definitely happening, yes. What it's going to lead to, I don't really know. Former state senator Randy Laverty owns 160 acres in the watershed where he raises cattle. We caught up with him at Jasper Farm Supply, recently sold by his son Jim Randy to a hardware store chain. Laverty is also active in the Masonic Lodge, chartered in 1868, the Boy Scouts, and is a disability advocate. What I would ask anybody that comes to our hometown, our home area, is the same thing I would expect them to ask of me, and that is to be a good neighbor and be conscious and respectful of the cultural history of the area. Uh, some things may seem backward to people who aren't from here, but... Uh, uh, some of their ways may seem backward to us as well, you know. But uh, again, the main thing is to live and let live and treat others the way you want to be treated. And good fences make good neighbors. Laverty says his people trace back to Fayetteville, who, with other migrants from Springdale and Rogers, resettled in Newton County in the 1940s and 50s to build new lives on this beautiful remote land. He says there's always anxiety about change, and that change is constant. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. If you ever miss an episode of Ozarks at Large, just ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large, and you'll hear the most recent edition. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert series featuring local artists and restaurants, presents The Lunch Hour Podcast, available on the KUAF YouTube page and now featuring December's guest artists Bang and Woodstone Pizza founder Jeremy Gothrop. The Lunch Hour is sponsored by George's Majestic Lounge Happy Hour Concerts, a Fayetteville tradition for over 40 years. George'sLive.com for more information.
This is Ozarks at Large. Each year, an estimated 240 pounds of food waste is thrown out per household in the United States. This can cause harmful carbon emissions and clog landfills, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. Now, a new curbside business is trying to make it easier for Northwest Arkansas residents to start composting. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth has this report. On a cool Wednesday morning, Ricky Ludman empties a black bucket of food waste into another black bin. The mix of what looks like soggy oats and rotting banana peels, among other unidentifiable sludge, just barely makes it into the bag. Oh, yeah. Ludman owns and operates Ozark Compost and Swap with his wife, Katie. The region's first residential compost pickup program started in November 2021. Several cities like Fayetteville offer a compost drop-off for residents, while some companies offer pickup for businesses and commercial food waste. But Ludman says when it comes to sustainability, food waste is an easy way for individuals to make an impact. Yeah, we want to offer something really simple to the community and just like, hey, we all got to start somewhere, but I mean, we're really, really fortunate of how much we can actually compost. You know, you look at when we were in Colorado, I mean, it wasn't near as much as what we can compost here. So, you know, City of Fable's got a, a really good facility and a really good process. Ludman, who's originally from the area, moved the composting business from Denver to Northwest Arkansas in 2021. Right now, he says the service is small, offering bi-weekly and weekly options to customers in Bentonville, where he's based, to Fayetteville, and other cities around the region. Fayetteville, so yeah, you got Fayetteville, Springdale, Cave Springs, Rogers, Centerton, Pea Ridge. Now we just added Pea Ridge and Bella Vista. Pick that up for him. He takes the slop of compost around the back of his white cargo van trimmed in the company's navy and gold logo. Inside, it looks more like a craftsman tool shed with racks and shelves that expand and retract to reveal more compost buckets, tools, cleaning products, and one section devoted to coffee beans. That's the swap portion of the compost and swap business. When OSC makes a pickup at one of its subscribers' homes, they have the option to buy other sustainable products, local products from cleaning supplies to coffee. One of the company's first partners is Bentonville-based Airship Coffee. A great thing for your, your compost is your coffee grounds. And since their concept also includes swapping out um, sort of like everyday pantry items, um, coffee seemed like a great fit. That's Airship owner Mark Bray. He says joining a compost delivery service helps his company fulfill its sustainability goals. We have our canister program here at Airship, and canister program is basically a packaging-free way to, uh, to source your whole bean coffee. So you come directly to the roastery, you fill up your canister, um, and take it home and use it, and then come back and fill it up when it's empty. And... So that keeps packaging out of the landfill, and that was an important thing for us and helps us keep the cost in, in the most affordable range for our customers as well. Our focus on sustainability through reducing our, our packaging um, and adding value for our customers, that really aligned well with um, Ricky and Katie's 
vision for encouraging people to compost their food waste and keep all, all that out of the landfill as well. Ludman says they also offer refillable cleaning products like soap and detergent, and he's looking to expand to offer delivery from other local producers. Yeah, we also have like our swap program, so we have uh, household products uh, that are all plant-based, which is good if, you know, some people still use paper towels. You can, you know, wipe down your countertop, throw it in your compost bucket, um, so that can be composted instead of going to the landfill. Uh, So, yeah, we're just trying to to offer a lot of, uh, you know, instead of just compost pickup, you know, we're we're almost trying to be a kind of a little sustainable Northwest Arkansas Amazon. We want to offer a lot more. He says the compost pickup works like a subscription service. Customers select how often they want their bins emptied, $26 for biweekly and $36 for weekly decide what other goods or products they want during that pickup, and then manage it all online or over the phone. Uh, They get notifications right now, so um, they'll be notified that I'm on the way to the house and how soon I'll be there. And uh, yeah, sometimes they'll they'll come outside and talk with you for a little bit. The Ozark Compost and Swap website offers a list of items that can be composted, including fruits and vegetables, cooked meat, and paper products, and those that can't, like raw meats, plastics, and cardboard. All of the waste is then distributed to a local composting facility. In Fayetteville, that's the city's drop-off site on Armstrong Avenue. Ludman says while composting has been an option for people for some time, his business is making it more feasible to actually follow through on it. Yeah, so honestly, to your point, what we've learned the most uh, here is education. Is, you know, there's a lot of, well, if, I mean, why would, why would I have you guys pick up my food waste when I can just put it in the trash? And honestly, it's, you know, explaining that, you know, that actually has a really bad adverse effect than what you, you know, would think is we're actually, as that decomposes with the plastics, the styrofoams, um, kind of call it all the bad stuff, is we're actually producing a really bad methane gas. Um, A 2019 study from the Environmental Protection Agency said that food waste in landfills contributes to 15% of all methane emissions. And Mark Bray from Airship says more of his customers are interested in programs that address sustainability and climate action. And they want to see that reflected in businesses. And so just that particular mindset of, of long-term sustainability has been something that we've incorporated into our, our value system as a business. And it has resonated with our customers over the years. And so we just continue to look for new ways to to create benefit, leveraging that core value. So Ludman says he just hopes Ozark Compost and Swap can make more people in Northwest Arkansas aware of the benefits and ease of subverting food waste. You actually turn this bucket of food waste into this. And I think it's really eye-opening and, and, you know, people understanding, you know, this is kind of the primo soil, too. This is what a lot of farmers, gardeners um, want because it's so nutrient-rich. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a huge education piece. And then it's, it's creating that, that habit in the household. For Ozarks at Large, 
I'm Daniel Carruth. In about 10 minutes, Courtney Lanning says the new anime movie Belle has a twist on an old fairy tale and in the process gives Beauty and the Beast a relevant edge. Welcome to today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. Fayetteville tech firm Acre Trader is starting the year with some big news in the form of a serious investment. The company announced this week that it's raised $40 million in Series B funding. It's the second funding round closed in less than a year. And since the company launched in 2018, Acre Trader's total funding now stands at $58 million. Acre Trader is an online farmland investment platform that helps lower the barrier of farmland ownership for people who aren't experts in investing. Over the past year, Acre Trader has grown the business over five times, worked with investors and farmers from all 50 states, and offered the first international opportunities in Australia. The company had about 15 employees this time a year ago. That number is now at 70 and climbing. Coming up, we'll hear from Governor Asa Hutchinson, the term-limited Republican who is beginning his final year in office. That's after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Governor Asa Hutchinson was the guest for the full half hour on Sunday's episode of Talk Business and Politics with Roby Brock. Their conversation touched on various topics, including the public health front in Arkansas. The Omicron, uh, the variant is raging across Arkansas. We're seeing numbers higher than we've seen at any point during the pandemic. This was a quote from you earlier in the week about the record case numbers that it, it tells us we're entering a period of probably the greatest risk and the greatest challenge that we faced uh, during the pandemic. What's the greatest challenge that we are facing? We faced a lot of challenges in the last 22 months. What's greater today? Well, it's uh, the same on hospitalizations. You can measure the record number of cases, which is a great concern in itself. But with the Omicron having less severe consequences, as we saw with Delta, you have to really just look at the hospitalizations. And uh, right now, uh, we are still uh, uh, almost you know, one third less than we were in hospitalizations as compared to the peak of the uh, uh, last Delta pandemic, uh, whenever we were up to over 1,400 uh, hospitalizations. But the, the difference is that uh, the staffing shortages are probably even greater because of uh, so many having Omicron that 
Uh, they're having to miss work, and that impacts hospital workers, so the shortage of staff strains the system, and then you've got the usual health care needs as well. So uh, the hospital staff, uh, our health care system is just worn out. Uh, they're, uh, I know how difficult this is for them to manage this, and so we look for ways to support that, but that's the biggest challenge. And uh, the sheer volume of cases is what worries you as to how, whether that's going to over flood the system or whether we're going to be able to manage it because the consequences are less severe. Uh, you've encouraged vaccinations. We're still not where we want to be on that, but that's been part of the strategy. Wash your hands, keep your distance, wear a mask. Uh, a lot of people will argue that it is not working, that we should do more. Uh, convince me that what you're doing is working with the numbers that we're seeing. Well, first, let's go back and people, I, I hear it too, do something, do something. Uh, you've got to do more. Look at this uh, high number of cases. Well, okay, let's think it through. What sh action do you want me to take? I mean, the options that I guess could be considered would be a, a shutdown order. Uh, everybody shelter in place like they do in China or uh, they have done in some places, but not even New York is doing uh, shelter in place. So that's off the table. It's impractical. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work. Uh, secondly, uh, you can uh, close all the schools. Uh, I think that is a terrible idea. The schools will make decisions to go uh, virtual as needed when their case counts up. But I think if we've learned any lesson uh, during this uh, history that uh, schools need to be open and our kids suffer and our parents, I mean, it's just bad for our students whenever we don't have our schools open for in-classroom instruction. You're saying it's been bad socially for them, it's been bad academically for them. Uh, mentally for them, socially for them, developmentally for them. What about health-wise for them? And, and health-wise, uh, they're doing fine. I mean, sure, they get COVID, and we uh, obviously there's some that get it more severe than others, but it's a very, very small part of it. And so, no, you don't shut down the schools on a statewide basis. And so the third thing would be a vaccine mandate. Well, we're challenging the federal government vaccine mandate uh, right now in court that that's not a good option nationally. We could do that at the state. Of course, you'd have to have legislative support, which you can't get. So that option is really not realistic. And it's not fully bad for our students whenever we don't have our schools open for in-classroom instruction. You're saying it's been bad socially for them. It's been bad academically for them. Uh, mentally for them, socially for them, developmentally for them. What about health-wise for them? And, and health-wise, uh, they're doing fine. I mean, sure, they get COVID, and we uh, obviously there's some that get it more severe than others, but it's a very, very small part of it. And so, no, you don't shut down the schools on a statewide basis. And so the third thing would be a vaccine mandate. Well, we're challenging the federal government vaccine mandate uh, right now in court that that's not a good option nationally. We could do that at the state. Of course, you'd have to have legislative support, which you can't get. So that option is really not realistic and it's not fully accepted enough to even justify it. Uh, and whenever you're looking at the consequences to our healthcare system and to our uh, long-term care facilities, thinking about the shortage of staff, if you put that in place, that would even have a greater consequence health-wise. And so the fourth uh, option would be a mask mandate statewide. Well, again, that has to have legislative support. Uh, it has no enforcement mechanism. 
Uh, and so, you know, the, the steps that can be taken are not practical and not realistic. Uh, and so we are active, though. But those are the ones that people talk about, but they're not uh, workable. So what are we doing? We're increasing testing. We've called, brought the National Guard uh, to help the hospitals in the throughput on our PCR testing. I've ordered 1.5 uh, million at-home tests. We're one of the early states to take that kind of initiative uh, as we speak. I hope that they will uh, be in our hands and we will uh, be delivering them uh, next week. Uh, we've taken those steps in terms of a hospitalization support. Uh, we're ready to pull the trigger as needed for additional uh, staffing support for the hospitals. Uh, you know, it's probably a $60 million investment. Uh, it means you bring contract nurses in from out of state uh, and we may have to do that, but it's not one that you do immediately. Uh, you measure it and, uh, you know, we're looking at a thousand hospitalizations is probably the trigger point that we're going to have to do something uh, in terms of greater support for it. So we are doing something every day uh, to manage our way through this, but we can't be impractical or unrealistic. Governor Hutchinson also discussed other topics in the interview, including the January 6th U.S. Capitol attacks and a potential run for the White House in 2024. We've got that interview for you online over at our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other headlines this week, company analysts say J.B. Hunt should see annual revenue exceed $10 billion for the first time when it releases its fourth quarter and full year earnings next week. And Amazon's plan for a possible delivery station warehouse in Lowell will likely mean more same-day deliveries for Northwest Arkansas consumers. And United Way of Northwest Arkansas, one of the oldest nonprofit groups in the region, named Helena Gaddison as its new board chair. She is the first woman and first African-American to lead the local United Way board. For those stories and more, visit nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. With me via Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, happy January. Happy January, Kyle. Uh, this week, you're talking about the movie Bell, and it's one that I hadn't heard of before you mentioned it last week, but I did a little research before it this week, and it it sounds like it's getting some early good buzz. Yes, and for those who aren't familiar with the movie, this is, uh, of course, a Japanese animated movie, or an anime for short, um, and it's coming to theaters on Friday. It's Japanese, but it takes inspiration from the French? Yes, actually. Um, with Bell, B-E-L-L, B-E-L-L-E, uh, of course, that's going to cause some to wonder if it's related to Beauty and the Beast, and it is. Uh, the story actually takes the centuries-old French fairy tale of Beauty and the Beast, and it brings it into a digital world with a, a strange twist that anime is, is known for. You know, if people don't watch a lot of anime and they may see a movie or two, like, Spirited Away or Kiki's Delivery Service, I think. This is a little strange compared to what I'm used to watching. Strange how? So the story is essentially, um, it's set in modernish times or maybe just a few years in the future. 
where there's a giant social media network that is virtual reality. And the world is just called you, the letter U. And everybody logs into this social media world. It's got like 5 billion users across the planet. Uh, and they log in with these tiny little headsets they plug in their ears and then they can have their own little digital avatars of themselves in that world. And the story follows this uh, very meek and quiet Japanese schoolgirl who lives in a rural setting named Suzu. And in real life, she has just one or two friends and she's very quiet. Uh, she's mourning the loss of her mother who died uh, trying to save a kid in a flood. Mm. But in this digital world, she is this famous pop singer known as Belle. Uh, and she has millions of fans all over the world. And she, she sings these catchy songs, but nobody knows who she is. And that's, that's sort of the crux of the movie. Um, so you have these two sorts of settings in her life, in her uh, real world life. She's quiet. In the digital second life, she's more boisterous and famous. Does the film reflect those sort of two feels? So, you know, it, it's a little bit of an awkward mix match at times. I'd say my, my main complaint with the movie is that some parts, mainly the parts where she's in her, her regular life, they start to feel a little slow. And it doesn't feel like an intentional artistic choice to me. Uh, it feels kind of like padding, which is strange because the movie's already two hours long. There, there were a couple times where I, I literally had to check and make sure my screen wasn't frozen. Oh. that the movie was just being intentionally slow during a couple scenes. And that's, that's really kind of my main complaint is some of the pacing kind of stumbles a bit here and there. How does it look? So, of course, when you're talking about an animated movie, you want to discuss the art, right? Mm -hmm. And the animation looks great. Um, you know, but I think the animation is at its best when they're in this digital world and you get to see all the, the bright colors and the, the boisterous animation of all these digital avatars that people have created for themselves, especially uh, this digital pop idol that the main character becomes named Belle. I mean, is there is there something that propels the character in the digital world that brings us toward the climax? Yeah, so the way the movie sets up this Beauty and the Beast tale is it, it borrows from it very minimalistically. Uh, this is not like a, a repainted hash of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Mm. This is more of a take of the the 1700s fairy tale novel, uh, again, published in France. Uh, and uh, this pop idol, Belle, her, her concert is crashed one day by a, a massive beast that everybody in the digital world hates. And they, they really just hate this guy. And he comes around and he starts fights with people and he's very violent and he just attacks people for seemingly no reason. And Belle becomes obsessed with figuring out who he is, who hurt him, why is he lashing out like this? Uh, and the movie, I really had to give it credit. It takes quite a dark twist towards the climax and um, tackles a subject that you wouldn't expect to see in an anime. It tackles child abuse, which, again, is, is not something you'd see with this Beauty and the Beast twist. The twist that I keep talking about is this isn't a love story between Belle and the Beast like Disney portrayed. Uh, this is more of the story of a quiet girl who needs to step into the light and be a hero for somebody that needs her to be and the pain of a beast that everybody seems to hate and that nobody wants to pay attention to. So it's, it's a unique twist. This is not the love story with a hint of Stockholm syndrome that Disney painted back in the nineties. And this is in theaters right now. Yes. This will be in theaters on Friday. Um, right up there with the, 
the other big movies coming out this week, like Scream 5, for example. Scream 5, is this picking up where Scream... I mean, it's been, what, several years since the Scream franchise had Scream 4. Right, and, you know, this is this is a, a meta horror spoof series uh, that got its start in the 90s, and you know me. I don't like watching scary movies. However, Scream is one of the very few exemptions I will give because it is so meta and it's more of a spoof and a commentary on the genre than it is an actual horror movie. Also coming to Amazon Prime this weekend is Hotel Transylvania 4. Somewhere along the line, I missed 2 and 3, but here comes the 4th. Yeah, this is a franchise that I I honestly don't know why we're still giving this time, space, and energy, but, you know, Amazon said this might be able to do well with our subscribers, let's buy it, and they did, and it's not even going to theaters, it's just coming straight to Amazon Prime Video. All right. What do you want to talk to us about next week? Next week, uh, and this will be a bit of a shocker, I would like to review another anime coming to theaters called Sing a Bit of Harmony. Mm. So uh, another anime, but also a musically centered anime. All right. Well, and it's it's kind of surprising something's coming to theaters because after, I think, Scream 5, the schedule, for various reasons, including the, the virus, really gets quiet until early March. Yeah. I and mean, we had a, you know, of course, the big comic book blockbuster Mobius was going to come out at the end of the month. And that got yeeted straight to April. So um, it, it's going to get a little quiet, but I'm sure you and I will still have plenty to talk about. I'm sure we will. You can read Courtney Lanning's review of Bell in Friday's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thanks as always for your time. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Listening to KUAF on your iPhone or iPad has never been easier with the new upgraded KUAF app. Download it today to access our three digital live streams, listen to full episodes of Ozarks at Large, and send your personal messages directly to the station through the new KUAF Connects feature. Your answers to questions in the app could be used on the radio. Your voice matters to KUAF. Download the new KUAF app and share your voice with us. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is Robert Ginsburg, who is the founder and president of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. You can also hear him every Friday night with Shades of Jazz on KUAF 91.3, 10 to midnight, Saturdays from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. That's a lot to say to just say welcome, Robert. Oh, Kyle, thank you. Uh, let's talk about younger jazz performers. Well, we're launching the sixth season of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz All-Star Youth Ensemble. This program was born as a collaboration with Walton Art Center and the Jazz Society six years ago. And the idea was to recruit talented students from our regional high schools to be involved in an intensive jazz program where they could perform big band music and small ensemble music and really dig into repertoire, learn what it is to improvise and work with uh, people from the Fayetteville Jazz Collective, some jazz professionals, and really submerge themselves in the music. Um, the program took off. It was very successful. The first year, I think we had 50 kids that uh, auditioned. We had a big band. It's evolved over the years. The Jazz Society, the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society, is now running the program. Walton Arts Center is still a collaborator. But 
the idea was to give these students an opportunity to go beyond what they can get in high school. That said, the high schools have really raised their games in terms of uh, jazz education. It's still kind of on the back burner when you compare it to marching band and concert band. But the I think the band instructors are realizing the kids want to learn this repertoire. They want to learn about America's great art form, and they've upped their game. And I've seen this over the past six years. Now, I'm not saying that the Jazz Society was responsible for that. A lot of the schools have uh, risen to the occasion. This year is the first year that Fayetteville High School offered a jazz band program at all. So I I think our program is in an impact. But uh, we always bring in a a renowned jazz figure uh, um, who is internationally known to work with the kids towards the end of the program, and it involves 11 Sundays of rehearsals. Mm. We rehearse every Sunday, and um, at the end, there's the final rehearsal with our star, our uh, internationally known star, and then a concert at Walton Arts Center. We also have, as part of the program, a opportunity for the kids to go into a recording studio, and we do a video and audio recording so they get experience of that end of the music business, what it is to actually record. The program has been um, incredibly rewarding. We now have kids that got in when they were in the eighth grade, so this is like their fourth year. And we see an incredible return on investment as far as students that whose world musical worlds are opened up when they have this kind of exposure, who have gone on to become music professionals. There, Some of them are now in college as music majors. And uh, it, it's just been an amazing program. This season is a little different. We're trying to expand the program. We're going to try to do a big band and a small ensemble, two different ensembles. And we think that... So ex- Exclusive of each other? Yes. Now, there may be some overlap of as to who's in what group, but it all starts with students that are interested can audition for this program. The registration is going on right now. All the information is on our website, digjazz.com. And it doesn't cost anything to audition. Uh, I'm a really strong proponent of students auditioning because I think it's part of the learning process of being a musician, working that muscle, getting over stage fright. And um, we we go through the audition and we create the bands, and then the actual rehearsals start the first weekend in February. I'm wondering about perhaps a young musician who has recently been introduced to jazz and maybe they're high school, they're in a smaller high school and they just really haven't had the chance to perform much of it other than maybe in their bedroom or something like that. Are you encouraging them to audition as well? Well, that's been an offshoot of the program. We now have students that are in the that have been in the program for several years that were so motivated that they formed their own groups mm. and they're out gigging now. Mm. So that's been very rewarding. I'm just as well. I'm just thinking of someone who might play the vibes, been inspired by Lionel Hampton, but hasn't had a chance to really flex or play that kind of music with an ensemble because they might be in a small town. 
you're encouraging them to be part of this as well? Absolutely. And this year, Kyle, interesting that you mentioned this. Our guest artist this year is a gentleman named Sammy Miller. He has a group called Sammy Miller and the Congregation, which if you're not familiar with this band, check them out. They're great. But Sammy and his organization have designed an online program for jazz musicians that is extraordinary. So all of the students that... Uh, past the audition this year will have access. What this program has online is charts for all the songs that they'll be playing. Not only does it have the chart, it has a pre-recorded rendition of the tune performed by jazz musicians, and that is available on a mixer that you can bring up on your computer. With that mixer, you can bring up or bring down any instrument in the band so you can play without... If you're a saxophonist, you can pull the sax out of that mix and play along with it. Plus, the sheet music is there as a PDF. It's just the most wow. amazing faci- tool for to do just what you're talking about. It's a play-along. It's not a new concept. There was play-along albums that used to be, they were called Minus One, mm. where you could buy a record album with Miles Davis's quartet Minus One Musician, which would be your instrument. But this brings it to another level. So we're incorporating that into this year's program so the students will have the opportunity to practice at home, but not just reading off of sheet music, playing along with a band of professional musicians. Really an exciting new component. Digjazz.com? It's all there. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Kyle. Dozens of journalists and activists in El Salvador discovered their phones had been hacked with a spy software that's used only by governments. They have all my personal information. What are they going to do with that? It's like they open up a, a door and they could see everything. I'm Ari Shapiro. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered this afternoon from 3 to 6 on KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Belmont. Once again, if you need to report a positive result from a home test to the Arkansas Department of Health, 800 803 7847. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Matthew Moore, Jacqueline Froelich, Daniel Carruth, and Courtney Lanning. Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report produced by Stephanie Brock. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll be back with you again tomorrow.